<laughs> My boy Randall, what's up? What's up, Chappy? Not much. I'll tell you, it's funny when you do, and I know you got all the a couple different shows going on on Thursday nights as well. When you do multiple shows on Thursday nights, sometimes you eat the pizza when it gets here. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. <laughs> Just choked down a sandwich on my way here. You know, I, I we ordered. I had my wife order at eight fifteen. It didn't get here till nine fifty. But I'll tell you right now, here in Indianapolis, if you're going anywhere, you got to go eat at Cajinos. It's a small little place here. It's not fairly well known, but their pizza is always fresh. It's always crisp. It's done right and great. You know, um, portions of cheese and the Abe Froman is my favorite pizza at Cajinos, Randall. Hey, you know, I used to go to Indianapolis to watch the Colts a lot. There's some great restaurants in the Indy area. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what used to shock me is you can actually get some really, really good barbecue in that area. We got a couple places, but I'll tell you the place that we like um, the most here in Indy, well, one of them we like the most is Ale Emporium. I don't know if you've ever eaten there or not, but they make really good. Uh, it's it's different. They make they call them boneless wings, but they're really chicken fillets, um, and they, they they make them with a dry rub. They have a, a regular hot. They have, it's called Herman. They have a uh, a Jamaican, which is Jamaican, and they have a Hermanaki, which is teriyaki. They're all delicious. If you're in town, that's where I'd suggest anyone to go first and foremost is is Ale Emporium. So. My ex-wife's uh, uncle worked at in the seafood department at Meyer. Uh, all right. He did all the buying there, man. Uh, used to be able to get some of the freshest seafood hookup out in the world up there. But yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy because it really is. It, it's kind of like the 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 pipeline to the whole country, right? So anyway, I don't think people came in here to talk uh, food and all that stuff, but you know. <laughs> And it, it is funny the things we go through on, on Thursday nights to get this to, to to the point where we can do this. So, um, you know, it talks a lot about baseball at 8 o'clock. Um, first off, the other angle with Chappie and RC, brought to you by iLogic Media, courtesy of Draft for Upside. Very appreciative of all the guys at Draft for Upside. Certainly go um, watch a bunch of their content, everything from cooking shows to sports shows to DFS shows and everything in between. So make sure you check those guys out. Randall, I know you got something going on. Yeah, um, a little stock tip happening too. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. Man. Yeah. I'm really enjoying being part of the iLogic family. Yeah, it's been fun. So um, I know you're uh, – I always butcher the name. So what show are you on Thursday night, Randall? Uh, Payne and Below show. Yeah. Yep. These, great guys. I call in um, every Tuesday or Thursday just to talk a little bit with them. That's a fun group of guys. You should definitely check them out. Oh, yeah. Great stuff. Great group of guys. Yeah. But without further ado, let's talk about this because, you know, I, I like I said, spent the last hour talking about baseball. Uh, kind of want to pivot because, you know, we are in March now. It is official. Um, want to talk about some of these Cinderella's, some of these uh, mid-majors. And we'll talk about their staying power and where we think we're, you know, they have the potential to go to. So, but without further ado, I mean, you know, being a Mountaineer fan, I think uh, you kind of have to talk about what happened this weekend and, you know, just how um, how good of a game that was. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the WVU Baylor game. Did you get to see it, see it Randall? I actually didn't get to watch it live, but I did see on the uh, – I had it recorded, so I got to watch all the uh, – Ending of the game and then the mm -hmm. overtime and 
you know, then after I watched that, I was like, well, I, then I went back. I watched it in reverse. Like I started in overtime. Then worse the second yeah. half. Yeah. The first half. Okay. So it was a good, you know what? West Virginia is for real. Yeah. Yeah. Very much for real. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing, so, okay. Before I start about West Virginia, I, I want to say a few things about Baylor. You know I've been a big fan of theirs all year, right? Yeah. Um, I think that game Tuesday night really kind of solidifies, and I'll make this argument all day long, that they're the best team in the country. You think about who they've played, the manner they've done it. For them to come out, I'll tell you, watching that game, <coughs> their, le- their legs got tired. They weren't hitting their shots because they were worn down. They fought through that. That's what a veteran team does. Right. And, you know, everybody's took the best shot at Baylor this year. Yeah. And, well, and, and they had every excuse to lay down, you know, uh, and, and they didn't. I mean, Baylor is one of those tried-and-true tested yeah. teams. Yeah. That big so tournament is going to be so great. Uh, it, the thing about Baylor that the, the people I don't – I think um, – don't understand fully is their ability to shoot. You think you got them covered, and they just do this crossover and step back, and they are deadly with those shots. And they're versatile. They got four guys that can do it. So, so, and then you know they got two big guys down low that really just negated Derek Culver. The turning point in that game was when Gabo Saboyan fouled out. They didn't have an answer for Gabe Osaboyan, no. Randall. I don't so, know that many teams do. So, Chappie, what's your expectations for your Mountaineers? That's a little surprise question I've been saving up for you. This is a Final Four team. Anything less than the Elite Eight's a disappointment? Absolutely. This is the best team that Huggins has had at Morgantown. And I say that because from this perspective, he can match you up from a number of different ways. He can match you up if he wants to go big and stay athletic. He can do it with Osaboyan. He could. He has two fours that are six nine and can play the guard. He's got probably the best two pure two guards in the country in Taz Sherman and Sean McNeil. And when those guys get the ball in their hand, you can't foul them. They're both over 85% free throw shooters. And, and, and RC, if you look at what they were last year compared to what they are this year, it is night and day. These two kids, McNeil's a junior. Sherman could come back with the extra year eligibility. I would imagine he'll do that. But everybody talks about everybody talks about Oscar Sheboy and how losing him hurt us. And I know I've gone down the path of we're a better team without him before. I'm not going down that path. The path I want to go down, the pe- the player that people don't understand, the separates us from being the best team in the country is Isaiah Cottrell. Isaiah Cottrell is a 6'11 freshman from, I believe, Huntington Prep 
who was our athlete, most athletic big guy. Right. Losing him with an Achilles the same week that we lost Gabo Saboyan really depleted our depth. But I don't think it matters because I think our guards negate that. You know, and you talk about that, and I think that's my frustration right now being an SEC fan is, you know, Kentucky <coughs> – I'm going to use two teams as a, an example over here on my side. Kentucky and Tennessee probably have legitimately three NBA players on both teams. Tennessee will be lucky to slip, slip in as an eight seed, who I thought anything less than an eight, late, elite eight appearance when the season started would be disappointed. And Kentucky's not even going to the NIT. Right. So what, to me, West Virginia has done is took pieces that aren't necessarily the five-star player, and they've got them playing as a team. Yeah. And if you watch West Virginia, for me, it's a – oh, and I'm a big Huggins guy. I've always been a Huggins guy. The team is well-coached, well-disciplined, and unselfish. And to me, with the guard play, that's a team that when we get tournament time, that's scary. And, and when we get to our Cinderella teams, I'm going to talk about teams that play defense and teams that have good guard play. West yeah. Virginia defines that. And I'll tell you, this team's a little different than teams that the, the, your normal team um, coming out of Morgantown. Their defense isn't the foundation of that team. It's their guards and their shooting. The defense steps up when it needs to. And that's very different from what you're used to seeing in Morgantown. But they, I'll tell you, they're for about a five-minute spurt at the beginning of the second half against Baylor. It's the best defense I've seen them play all year long. That's what you want to see when the clock, when the calendar clicks, clicks over to March. Right. I fully look for them to handle business Saturday against Oklahoma State. Of course, they won the night at TCU. I look for them to handle their business Saturday, go into that tournament as a two seed. I got to tell you, Randall, I want to see them play Oklahoma. Jalen Bridges tonight after the game said something really cool, I thought. Then we'll move off of this. Of course, freshman from Fairmont, 25 minutes down the road from Morgantown, hometown kid. By the way, same high school was Darius and Dante Stills. Nice. 600 kids at this school. Fairmont They're going to produce two NFL players and an NBA player out of the same, well, a two-class span. That's impressive, right? That is. And it's not. It's a very small city. Yeah, yeah. So Jalen Bridges tonight after the game, first tr you know tr true fright shoot excuse me redshirt freshman first triple double of his career twenty two points twelve rebounds. You know what he says in the post game interview, Randall? No. Said Hug said to us last after last game, he said, "Don't let one loss turn into two or three. He said we're coming down the stretch, and the last thing you can afford to do is go down nineteen points to anybody this time of year." That tells me this team's listening, they're poised, and they understand what's at hand. This is a mature team. Yeah, and that's the difference. Tennessee, Kentucky are an immature team. Right, right. And West Virginia was last year. By it's no what means, a year of experience gives you. By no means when it comes to NBA draft time are we going to see. You right, know, uh, any of them. Yeah, I mean, but. <laughs> any of them. It, well, you know, I was thinking maybe one. 
But I mean, even if their one guy could stay in school and probably not come. No, he Culver's not going anywhere. There's no way. Uh, but I mean, Tennessee has uh, two freshmen. One pick is a top ten pick. One is a top twenty pick. Both guards. And Chappie, they, 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 they desperately need someone to turn to in that, that team and find yeah. that person. And I found, uh, and then this good transition. When I went to looking at a lot of my Cinderella teams we were talking about, right? I kept finding third and fourth year transfers from big programs that now have a major leader leadership. Uh, that that you this UC Cinderella. Yep. You see Santa Barbara team I'm going to talk about has two of them, both fourth-year players, both guards. Man, that makes a team dangerous to me when they've got those big-time guards and especially coming out with that chip on their shoulder a 13 seed's going to have. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I mean, I feel like that's the, the, that's the other thing. When you have teams who have faced adversity – and overcome it. It certainly makes small trivial things within the game seem a lot smaller. It, it does. And, and that's really when you when it all comes down to it, what we're talking about when we come into um, in a, in the March and April. So the teams that have been there will be able to overcome. With WVU teams coming from 19 down twice, they've come from double-digit down, I think, five times this year. Nothing's going to get them rattled. And I think you're absolutely right. Moving on to these mid-majors, a lot of these teams have a lot of experience to draw off of. And the first team I want to start out with, I watched them the other night, Loyola Chicago. 20 so let's 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 dress this first right i guess the exercise we want to play is let's let's set a parameter let's set the bar at 316 so as we go down this list that's the bar okay and it's very likely not that likely or not at all uh it's it's wow! You caught me with that one. So let me get uh, let me dress it for you. I'll I'll paint the picture for you. All right. Loyola Chicago. We all remember them from 2017. Yeah, lost the dancing nun. They went to the final four. Everybody's darling, right? Freshman on that team, Cameron Crudwig. This year is their best player. He's averaging 14.8 points a game, 6.6 rebounds a game, and 3.3 assists per game. He's shooting 61% from the floor. They're 9-1 in their last 10 games, Randall. What I will say this to me, and I said it earlier, is the best mid-major out there. Now, we'll get to yours in a few minutes. Uh, My problem with them getting to the Sweet 16 is I think they're going to be an 8 seed or a 9 seed. Yep. That puts them directly across from a 1 seed in round two. And I think that is the hardest draw 
to come out of Cinderella from. Now, you think about a lot of the teams we've seen make these runs. Yeah. Even them in 2017, I believe, was a 12 seed. So, you know, you win early, you you beat a, a five seed, then you're in, you're not in that one seed bracket, you're in a three five to get to the sweet 16. Uh, they were so good, they went, like you said, to the final four. I'm going to give them a marginal ability to get to the sweet 16 just because they've earned a higher seating. So somewhat likely. Yeah. Somewhat we'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so here, here's why I feel like it's not out of the realm of possibility for me. Will is fifth in the country in field goal percentage. They're shooting 60% on the season. Fifth best in the country. I, I'll, I'll give you the so Lonardi currently has him as a nine seed. I'll give you that one matchup is a really tough matchup coming out of the second round. You're talking about a situation though. I'll drop a scenario on you. And I'll pivot to this next team before I answer this question. What happens if Drake wins the Missouri Valley Conference? Yeah, that was uh, the next point I was going to make. I think Drake then moves up to the 8-9 line. Right. And then I think that Lalloy was actually better off yeah. as a 10 seed or yep. 11 seed. One of those teams, and let's face it, the Missouri Valley is a real deal conference. It's one of those conferences that, while it's not a major conference, it might be one of the two or three best mid-major conferences. Every for year. A long time. Every year. Yeah. Um, I like one of these teams. If you give me both of those teams, I'm going to take it likely one of them gets to this week of 16. So, so <laughs> exactly where I was headed. I, I would make the argument that the loser of the MVC I think so. goes further in the tournament because of seeding. So. Because of seeding. I think so. I think so, so we're not answering you, right? So I'll give you some Drake stuff. I know Drake's your team. 24 and 3, 15 and 3 in conference, 8 and 2. In their last 10 to 10 games, they got four players in double digits. Just like their rivals, they're shooting 50% from the field, good for ninth in the country. They haven't been to the tournament since 2008. Yeah. And they did suffer an injury to, uh, to their best player, probably, in Hemp Hill. Yeah. But what I like about Drake, I don't I, – I believe that Chicago is the better team. But overall, talent-wise, I think Drake has a little more elite talent. Uh, also, Drake, if you've not watched him play, and I'll I tell you where I got to on the Drake bandwagon. This year, I was watching, you know, I like to put $5 on a game here and there. Right. Drake has been the best cover team in the nation. So <laughs> the nation got caught up to Drake. Uh, but Drake scores in the mid-70s. They can defend. They shoot 50%. I think if they're healthier, they're 
I, I like their team better than Chicago, but I've really Drake is a team that you know, do yourself a favor. Watch Drake yeah. when if yeah. you want to if you want to see a team that plays that will pass up a shot to get a better shot, a team that defends without smothering you. Uh, I really think Drake feels like 2005 basketball a little bit. They'll give up the open look to get another possession at times. What they do do, do what they do well, <laughs> they guard the three well, and they play out front on defense well. Right. I thought Drake was going to go 27-1 and one at one point this year. I know but, you were on them early. Yeah, but they have really run into – uh, the the NBC is a little better than I thought it was. Yeah. So yeah, I think it so. always is. Yeah, I, I think Chicago's the better team, but that tournament's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and there's um, I forget who the third team is. Uh, I had it in my notes. Uh, but there's the third team. Oh, who was it? Uh, Hold on, I can get to it. One second. Sports Reference guys, it's a great site. Yeah, they well, do. I, they do like you can you can do any sport you want, whether it's pro football, college basketball, NBA. You can go and look, um, and and there's a bunch of great stuff in there. Um, MVC, MVC third is Missouri State. Missouri, Missouri State, State, Indiana State, sixteen and six, twelve and six. Missouri State is. Yeah, Missouri State, if they were in another conference, would probably be a, a tournament team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but Missouri State's lost, I think, three of their six losses have been against Drake and Chicago. So, I mean, uh, when you get into that tournament, you've got Northern Iowa, Missouri State, you've got Chicago, and then you also got Drake. Those top four teams, if that's who's playing come – Saturday, that's going to be a great little tournament. So let me ask you this. Who's the better conference, Missouri Valley or the Big East? This year? Yeah. I'm going to go with Missouri Valley. Ugh, I got to disagree with you. I mean, I think it's close. I think it's closer than most people. But, you know, um, I think Villanova lost one of their best players. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. And, you know, the one team that makes me have heartburn when I say that is we all know Villanova's good. Right. They've always been on Creighton. Man, St. John's is a little better than I thought they were, and so is UConn. U UConn's the one I really wanted to talk about, Randall. I I, I don't think St. John's – St. John's has too much work to do. They do, but come back, there's someone that can beat somebody in the tournament, in their conference tournament. I don't think they get the chance. But I think UConn does. I, I think UConn, so 12 and 6, 9 and 6 in the Big East. They've beaten Xavier, USC, and Providence. Pretty good wins. They're now 9 and 2 with James Booknight in the lineup. They're 4 and 4 without him. Booknight's a good ball player. He is. Um, I, I feel like. Right now, Lenardi hasn't projected as an eight seed. It's another scenario where you want to get up to that seven spot, right? Yeah. But taking the seeding out, because, you know, UConn, 
So we all talk about Blue Buzz being down. Everybody forgets about UConn, right? They don't get mentioned in that. Yeah. So UConn coming on. So so Book Knight had, a, I think, shoulder surgery, or maybe it was wrist surgery, mid-year. Missed, I think, four or five games. Do you have to look at them a little bit differently with him in the lineup? You do. Uh, I have not seen a play with him in the lineup. I've seen him gone twice. Yeah. And uh, it's a good point you make about Blue Blood because it's not that long ago. Yeah. UConn was elite in right. college basketball. You've got to feel like, and I, I know it's kind of cliche but, you know, Alabama, I think when they throw on those football jerseys, I think just putting the jersey and the helmet on gives them a seven-point advantage just because it's Alabama. Right. You know, the elite blue bloods in basketball really are having the opposite effect. But UConn's a proudful program. Um, I think, and I was going to talk about UConn in the form that UConn's not a team of one not want to see. I really, right. really yeah. agree. totally agree. That's a bad, uh, and, and it would depend on the one, but that's a bad matchup well, for a couple of people. And I'll tell you why, for me anyway, because at that eight spot with a one seed, usually those those one seeds are used to being more athletic than that eight seed. That's not the case with the UConn basketball team. They still have those four and five star recruits. Absolutely not. They're elite talent. They're they've recruited well. Uh, UConn's got just as good an athlete as as any school. Uh, you know, athlete. right. Any of the one seeds, right? Yeah, and you know, maybe when we talk about Drake, no, they they don't have one seed athletes, but you know, they play a different kind of basketball. But UConn is actually somebody that can get out and run with anybody in the country. And, and you know, we talk about. Um, I was going to bring this up early, a little later too. Seems like we're on the same vein. You know, Tennessee's on that eight line too. Yeah, with two NBA quality guards. Right. Right. Uh, Florida has slid to that eight line. And, uh, you know, the thing about those teams, a lot of times with those teams, they're just playing well. You know, they've had this issue. They know they're in the tournament. They just got to play well enough to get into the tournament. And then once they get into the tournament, it's a clean slate. Right. So a team like Tennessee or Florida, you're absolutely right, could be really dangerous. I watched USC last night out west. Great team. You want to talk about a talented team, and no one's talking about them. I mean, when when you think about the Pac-10, really nothing comes to mind. If you had, you know, because it's not been the, the the most exciting conference. You have there's not a whole lot of you know like one line type teams, but the USC team to me. And the um, Colorado team, to me, seem to have the most staying power out West. I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. I saw Colorado earlier in the year, and I really – and this is when, when the balls were playing well. Colorado was a good basketball team. Mm-hmm. I love Mobley, the center from USC. Yeah. He, even, even in the world of college basketball, he's a unique player. Yeah, he's an interior defender. He's a rim protector. 
He gives USC what you don't see a lot of people have, a true interior defensive presence. Right. I really like USC. They're on – they're there to me. Uh, USC, I think they're projected as a four or five right now. Um, I don't think they're a team that you want to – you you really don't want to open up with – I mean, I would hate to be someone looking and being that five seed having to – I mean <laughs> – Go up against them. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough matchup. Well – you know, and and that's 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 what this is all about, right? That's what makes this so great because a lot of times I'll tell you, you know, you brought Florida up. Um, you know, I've seen Florida. Florida beat WVU and looked darn good doing it, right? So when you see that matchup pull up and you see Florida on the other side of that, you better stand up and attention to that because that team's no joke. Yeah, you know, and we talk about my favorite matchups in that opening day. Is probably the I love the eight nines. They're already always great basketball games. The five twelves are historically. Yeah. Yep. You know that's where you get the higher seed, lower mid majors playing a team that it seems like five six are often teams that had more to play for that stumbled into the tournament. And you give me a motivated twelve seed against a five seed who may just lost in the semifinals of their conference tournament or, or, you know, we forget those, those kids that sitting on that 12 line are excited to be there. I mean, beyond yeah. Beyond. Yeah. Yep. And they want to prove that they've been under, underrated, right? That's the other part. The seven ten matchups always fun too. It that is. always generates some upsets as well. Uh, and you'll get one, two, 15 game. That's probably decent. <laughs> Three, fourteen, you might get a couple of games, but when you get up to the thirteen and the twelve seed, those teams can play now. Well, and it all, it all depends on how. So that's a great, you know. So we start. I want to talk about a couple more teams, and then I want to move over over some baseball, if that's all right with you. Yeah. Let's talk about. So, so first off, um, I, 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 I just got to talk about Bale or Belmont. What do you think about Belmont? Twenty-four and three, the Ohio Valley Conference. They've now lost two in a row. They were twenty-four and one, but you're talking about a team that could shoot the ball. Yeah, um, almost Princeton South in their basketball program. They are well coached. Yeah. Belmont. Belmont's just a you know an hour or two up the road, two hours up the road. It's always been a program that's well coached, and actually moving up to the OVC has been a kind of a a major move for for Belmont. Uh, Belmont also gets some transfers occasionally that are kids that maybe went to a bigger school. I've seen Belmont uh, maybe once early in the year. But I kind of worry about them hitting a skid right here before tournament time, and I, and I don't know if it's if it's something injury wise or you you know it's hard to find information on that team. But that's a team since day one you've been on that yeah. I was uh, I I probably had them winning a game in my bracket at one point. Yeah, I love those teams that finish the year twenty eight and one. Right, and, you know, and everybody goes, oh, they can't. 
That's absolutely who I always feel like my bracket will. You know, RC, the thing for me that um, maybe differentiates these guys from other mid-majors is unlike a lot of these teams, they generally tend to be guard-oriented. They generally tend to shoot from outside, make the free throws, be well-disciplined. And and this team has that, right? Um, They've got, you know, they've got – Five players that average in double digits, four of them are guards. But the difference for me is the center. The, you know, I'm not going to try and say his name, Mazinski. Yeah. Get it close. He, you know, to me, at 6'11, 235, I, I, he kind of seems to me to, to, to make them a little different than some of these other mid majors. Well, that's not a kid most mid majors get. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. For me, I see them win in the first weekend, maybe get into that Sweet 16 game. But most likely to me, um, they're fun to watch. Um, I don't know if I can see them get into that second game. Yeah. It's uh... – the thing you worry about Belmont is them running into a super uber athletic team. Right. They've got to they've got to be able to stay in half court. Uh, someone that can really push the pace, press the basketball, can really play havoc. The worst thing that if you tell me Belmont draws Virginia, I'm like, oh gosh, I couldn't get any worse mm-hmm. of a matchup because Virginia can just pressure the ball, push the ball. Uh, Belmont, well, they're playing the same game, right? Do what? They're playing the same game. Yeah. With yeah. much better talent. Belmont actually needs a team that's going to give them the ball, somebody that they can let get sloppy. Yeah. Uh, someone who wants to – I mean, actually, Belmont-Alabama sounds like an interesting matchup to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, Alabama's going to press it all night. Right. Going to press the rim, press the rim. And if Belmont gets hot, who can say? What's the team you're thinking about, Randall? Who have we missed? Uh, I, I've got a couple I want to throw out there. One of them is UC Santa Barbara. Uh, they're, they're probably going to be a lower 13-14 seed. But um, let me grab my notes here because I don't butcher these names because I've done butchered enough of them tonight. <laughs> uh, they have two transfers, one from – let me get this name right. Was I so excited I put them on the top line? Jaquari McLaughlin, uh, who's, a, who's a guard transfer – former Oregon State player. He's the Big West player of the, uh, of the year. And then they have the second guard, who is an Oregon transfer. Uh, also, uh, Miles Norris, he is a uh, – well, he's not the guard. He's the center. Uh, Oregon transfer, 6'10". Uh, the X factor, though, is Norris to me. Even though McLaughlin's going to be player of the year. I somehow – stumbled on UC Santa Barbara one night 
You know, when it's late at night, you've been up too long, you quit long, <laughs> and you see, you see Santa Barbara buses, uh, you know, somebody, okay, I'll watch this. When they tipped the ball and they brought it down the court the first time, I watched the guards, and I was like, oh, wow. And I was just, this got to be, this, this has got to be a little different. Then the other team, uh, you know, maybe it was a 15-14 game. And Norris blocked a shot completely out of frame. And I was like, wow. So they have really two elite athletes you wouldn't expect to be at UC Santa Barbara. Right. And they play in a pretty good conference. Uh, unfortunately, they play in the same conference as, you know, a couple of teams that's probably uh, – not that great, so it it gets overlooked. But uh, when you see a Santa Barbara passed my eye test, though, Jackie, yeah, it really was. I felt like, and you see it sometimes. There was a Winthorpe team a couple of years ago that um, mm-hmm. you watched them and you just went, "These kids, how did they end up at Winthorpe?" Right. I kind of felt that way watching you see Santa Barbara. If there was at least two or three kids that I was like, how are these, how, how, you know? So <laughs> Santa Barbara's one of the school. And, and the other one that I was going to talk about um, was, again, I think it's very similar to Belmont and Winthorpe, that it's a team that probably plays a way that they need to find the right matchup. Um, but I really... I'm going to step out of the way and more talking about it. If there's a team that I think can get to the Sweet 16 from the bottom of that bracket, I think it's Santa Barbara. I really okay. think can make some noise. Well, I'm going to have to watch them. They're they're I haven't checked them out yet. Oh, and they're you know, and sometimes it's just uh, having insomnia that'll help you check out. West <laughs> uh, I I was I'm gonna. I will throw one more te- team out west that we all talk about. Uh, it, it's not a mid-major, but I, I've watched them a couple of times. Uh, they're a tourney team, but I think BYU is kind of in that same boat that Drake and Chicago is. That they're uh, BYU's a, a a very good basketball team. That if you don't come to play, you will not. You, you need to strap on your shoes that night to come play BYU. They're very workmanlike about their attitude. So I think we're going to get – and maybe we've talked about the Big 12 all year. We've talked about the SEC. Sure. I, I think we've missing some teams out west. I really think the media in general misses a little bit on the west coast. Yeah. So, uh, all sports, you, really, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. You've got me – USC, Colorado, and one of these mid-majors are in the Sweet 16. I'm not shocked. Well, you know, I'll tell you, it's fun, and we'll continue this conversation as we go down through it, right? Um, Because there's so many of them. We didn't even get a chance to talk about, you know, some of these these schools – you know, that are in big conferences that, you know, maybe aren't your first 
first thoughts when you think about you know when you think of the Big Twelve, maybe you don't think about Oklahoma State first off. No, or Texas Tech, or right. But when you're coming down to filling out your bracket, there's real reason to have um, draw on that team. So maybe next weekend we'll we'll kind of think about that and take it from that perspective. Sound like a good deal? Sounds like a good one. Hey, can I give you one more team that I, that that I really um, am interested in seeing play? Yes, I saw them earlier in the year because um, we played them. But to me, a team that really has a chance, um, and I think you might have seen them too, because they beat Alabama, Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky, you know, they're they're again um, a lot like I was talking about earlier, a little bit different in that they have a big guy, and he's a five-star recruit. As a matter of fact, he's the number six overall player in the 2018 class. He was supposed to be – Charles Bassey's his name. 6'11", redshirt freshman, averaging 18 points and 11 rebounds a game. This is a guy that when you're looking at a bracket, and you start looking at this guy, he should scare you. Have you seen this kid play yet? Yeah. Um, he is a little bit of a anomaly in this area that, uh, you know, Western's not that far. When right. It, the whole world was like, what's going on? And, but, you know, there's a tie there with his high school coach. Usually um, is. <laughs> and they sold him on the idea that he could go to Western Kentucky and build his own legacy. Yeah. That he could go someplace and be special and impactful to the legacy of the basketball program. Um uh, you know, and, and the, the head coach there is a name in, in Rick Stansberry that a lot of people in the SEC is familiar with from his time at Mississippi State. And to me, it was a, a, a good basketball coach that might not have been at the best place. Um, he's really, really put a lot of effort in getting Kentucky, uh, Western Kentucky pointed in the right direction. Western is a place that is capable. So a lot of places have like Tennessee and Vanderbilt, two SEC schools, or Alabama and Auburn. In the state of Kentucky, you have Kentucky and Louisville. Right. Which is absolutely basketball royalty. Yep. Western is that school that may get just a little bit of rub off of being in the state with Kentucky and Louisville that makes the basketball feel a little more special because it is Kentucky and it is Western. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I've always said, uh, Chappie, uh, Western Kentucky is the one school that is the Middle Tennessee State, which is a huge school here in right. Tennessee with 40,000 kids, biggest school in the state. Western's a little different. Uh, it, it's just one of those schools that feels special. I don't really, I compared <laughs> it to Western Kentucky. It was really a nice place. And if I was a kid, 
and I'm not an NBA, you know, automatic one and done kid, and I'm not getting the offers I want, Western Kentucky would be a place I absolutely would go. A friend of mine's kid went through the, a female, a girl basketball player, went through the recruiting process several years ago and was recruited by many SEC teams, many ACC teams. She signed at Western Kentucky. Nice. There's something a little special about that place. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I feel like they got a real chance. Of all of these teams that we've talked about today, I feel like Western Kentucky with that big guy really is special, has a chance to make it through to the Sweet 16. I don't know that we've named a Sweet 16 team, aside from UConn, better than Western Kentucky. Who's the best of the group we talked about, Randall? Well, I guess we're going to throw out the the, the Pac-12 guys, so let me... Yeah, 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 yeah. I would think UConn... I, I'm debating whether it's Chicago, Western Kentucky, or Western Kentucky, Chicago. So yeah, if, if it's that close, then your point is, well, Western Kentucky is right there. Yeah. I'm also... I'm convinced that maybe Western Kentucky might be as good as UConn. Um, That's steep. I mean, the one piece they have is probably better than any other. All that group of schools, yeah. he's probably the best player among all of them. Yeah. I just no, don't I would agree. about Western Kentucky's core outside of him to say, oh, duh. You know, but you never know. Come tournament time. One great player can win you a game. Well, yeah, it happens every year. It happens every year. Um, so, so Hollingsworth's the other big player. He's a he's a six-two guard um, yes. on that team. So it, it's kind of a one-two. Seventeen and eight, uh, or excuse me, seventeen point eight, eleven point eight from Bassey, fourteen point two, three rebounds, two assists from Hollingsworth. So aside from that, everybody has single single digits, but. All right, I think we've we've we're at a good stopping point. I I, I think it's time to to, to pivot. You, you you got a draft coming up, Randall? You know, uh, Chappy, I've already said it once on the other. We need uh, we have a draft coming up this weekend, an uh, auction style draft, which I yeah. So, Chappy, uh, and, and it's our friend Lou's draft, and uh. I'm re-entering the world of fantasy baseball, and I lose a great guy, and, and I thought, well, this is a guy I want to be in his home league. Yeah. And, uh, when I signed up for it, you warned me, auction baseball is a little different, and I, yeah. spent, I spent about three days trying to get a draft list together. Well, so, what's your take on it? Oh, I, you know, so much. So much that, you know, you kind of have to – Start breaking it down in layers. The first thing that I always love, you know, auction drafts take auction drafts take much longer, but I think it's worth it in the end because you can't get in a snake draft. You can't go out and get if you want Juan Soto and Robert Acuna. You can't do that in a snake draft. Theoretically, you could do that in an auction draft. No, I wouldn't suggest it. 
<laughs> but but literally, the auction draft is great because it lets you build the exact team you want to build. And the ultimate part of it is it's all about strategy. Uh, that's the part of fantasy sports that I love the most is the strategizing to beat your opponent. Because bet your whatever, there's going to be guys at the end of this draft that are that are that have to have dollar players starting for them because they've spent too much money on the front end. That's what you want to avoid. At all costs. So we could talk about some strategy. I did a good bit on middle infield tonight. Um, For me, this is all about value, right? Right. So it's about identifying who the values are within the tiers. What are some guys that you think are valuable at the middle infield position, particularly, Randall? Well, you know, um, and I've got my notes here. cheating. I'm pulling up my draft list from this weekend because I have a couple of guys. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and spill the beans uh, so that we can uh, we get my list up. We well, got you. You can't talk about it and you know not keep keep your list up against your chest. You got to talk about it. You know it's funny. I've said this all along. Um, if you're if you're getting on here and talking about it, it's not about you know trying to, to trick people, you, you, you know, I, I'll give you my list. It's all about executing that list after that, yeah, right? hundred percent. So one of the things that I do when we get to talking about value, so uh, there's so much in the middle infield or infield that once we get down the list some, that I like to find players that are multi-position eligible, Chappy. Right. That's been my key to my fantasy baseball career is that, uh, you know, there's two different kinds of leagues. I believe this is a set your lineup once a week, but uh, there's the daily lineups. Right. When you have those guys that are eligible in a a bunch of different positions, you never know when you're going to need that outfielder or that infielder slash outfielder. So some of the guys that don't put up huge – that's are some of the guys I target sometimes. Uh, I, I know uh, from St. Louis that uh, Tommy uh, Edmund is yeah. eligible in about four spots. Right. That's a guy that I really covet on my team because I can move him around. I can plug him in. And um, also the other factor I have going into this draft, Chappie, and I, I look at it opposite, I guess, than some people. Shortstop is super deep, right? So everybody thinks, wait, wait, wait for a a shortstop. But uh, it's so deep that if you don't get one of those 12 or 13 guys at the end of the draft that you're going to be out the door and you're going to lose so much ground. So I'm going to put a high value on maybe not the first tier of shortstops. Right. And everybody's talked about Anderson. Nobody in the world is going to underestimate Anderson's value. Right. But um, I really would like to maybe come away with, you know, uh, no one less than Rosario, but no one at the top of the list. I don't want to overpay, but I'm kind of targeting that DeJong, Anderson. Anderson's really my cutoff point. 
I'd like to have one of those guys in front of him. At second base, I think I am going to target somebody that's eligible in multiple positions. I'd love to have DJ LeMay here, but, you know, that's about as sleeper as me. Uh, another one, one, one more other guy that I've thought about, um, and I really want maybe catch a rising star with Biggio or maybe catch that guy that's not all the way established like Brandon um, and do a little prospecting. So um, I can't, I, I've got my budget set and it's high at, at middle infield at 60, but that's not going to reach the Tatiste and Albies and be able to pair that team up. Maybe I can get one of those guys or maybe I can get one elite middle infielder, but I really think that I, I'm going to come away with a nice utility player somewhere in there. Well, I, I'll tell you, I mean, for me, I, and I said this uh, at eight, I'll say it again now. Um, I, 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 I'm similar from you in that I am not going to be targeting um, one through five, generally speaking, from a shortstop perspective. It's just going to be – they're going to go too early in the draft and um, – uh, they'll be overpriced. So I'm not interested in Tatis, Turner, Story, uh, Lindor, Machado um, in this format, in this auction format. Where I will be targeting is that next tier, like you said. So in particular, um, I'm looking at guys like Bichette, Bogarts, Seeger, um, you know, a little further down. Really interested in your boy Dansby Swanson. Call Dansby Swanson Corey Seeger light at 8 o'clock. Yeah. Um, to, to me, he's one of those guys that uh, we're, we're looking at. If you project his numbers out from last year for an entire year, you're looking at a 28 homer, 12 stolen base guy. I feel like that's a good floor for Swanson. And then you throw in a 274 average to go with that. I'll take that every day of the week, um, especially as my second shortstop, as my middle infielder, if you will. Because I'll tell you one thing that I, I, I've rambled on about for this for two weeks now for me, I don't care if you want Story or Turner or Bichette or Bogarts or Seeger and Anderson. You better target these guys, and you better do it in couples as far as I'm concerned. I will be spending extra at shortstop, and I'll be doing so because what you get when you get a guy like Bo Bichette. So here was my argument earlier. This time next year, we're going to be having the argument, who's the better shortstop, Bo Bichette or Fernando Tatis Jr.? Wow. You're getting Bo Bichette on a, in, a, in a draft in the third round. Tatis is going three overall. Right. So needless to say, in an auction scenario, I feel like he's massively underpriced. You're talking about a guy – who has always kind of been driven off the fact that he's got Vladimir Guerrero there that everybody's going to talk about. That drives him that he's not even – Dante Bichette's son's not even the star player on the team, but he's the best player. You're talking about 30 homer, 20 stolen bases with a 300 average. Tell me that's not a first-round pick, Randall. That's a first round pick. Does a little bit of this chappy depends on when people 
I know it's a little different that everyone brings people up. Yes. If somebody throws Bouchette in early, does that drive his price up even more? So I haven't shared you shared this with you yet. We've talked a lot about an auction this last week or so. There are about three or four players. I pick them out every year. I tell you, stay under $5 over, right? There are three or four players that I will make that exception for. This happens to be one of them. Fair enough. You got to pick your battles, brother. That's what auction's all about. I told you earlier you want to stay ahead of the wave, right? So everybody's going to peck down. They're going to get cheap. You want to have the leverage. So if the guy comes up that you really want. So in an ideal world, Randall, you let everybody go out there and peck off your your Tatises and your Turners and your Freemans and your, you know, all those guys. And then you wait till about the third round when everybody spent their high-priced players. Then you throw out your Bichette. And you might still play pay premium price price for them. You're not going to get into that battle where you're spending fifty or sixty bucks on them, though, because everyone else has spent their big bucks on someone else. That's the strategy. Fair enough. So, do you um, do you identify players that you know will cause a bidding war that oh. you're not specifically interested in? That's trying to make sure those get offered up early. That's all I that's all I ever offer. Okay. That's that is all I ever I offer I offer up players I have no interest in bidding on, but I know others will. Now, that being said, I'm on air here tonight. I always reserve the right to pivot. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about strategy. It's like playing chess, you know? I mean, yeah. he he who is able to be flexible, it wins. And that's what this game's all about. Um, you know, a couple guys, uh, you know, over at the second base side, I, I was talking a, a good bit earlier about how I think it's deeper than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Um, a couple guys that really, to me, make a whole lot of sense where they're being drafted. First off, Jose Altuve in the ninth round is a bargain. Is absolutely criminal. If I could get Jose Altuve for under 30 bucks, I'm happy. I'm happy. He's a career 311 hitter with an OPS of, I don't want to butcher this, so let me go find it. With an OPS, I think it's like, give me one second. Career 311 with an OPS, OBP, excuse me, a 361. OBP is simply batting average, excuse me, yeah, batting average and walks over at-bats. So hits and walks over at-bats. That's all it is. It's a simple formula. So getting on base. How deep do you think second is? Is it nine guys, ten guys? Looking down through here. There are a lot of intriguing names past 100. Um, Nick Solak is very intriguing to me. It's a power-speed combination. You have to see it a little bit, but, you know, he's, he's, he's again, position flexible. Um, I, I feel like 
He showed a little bit, and when he's been up, I like him at 184. I love Nick Magical at 213. That might be a steal. Um, you're talking about a player that in our draft will go for more than probably his bargain, his floor price says. I don't have this the totals in front of me. I don't really treat it like that. I told you my strategy earlier. I treat it from a fraction perspective, more like what I've spent and where I am in regards to the rest of the group. So I don't care if I've spent a dollar or a hundred dollars. I want to be ahead of where every, everybody else is. Um, I feel like there are some clear potholes in this second layer. Um, a, a guy like Jonathan VR, who in years past has been intriguing, I want nothing to do with. He's a part-time player. Uh, you know, he, he's in he's in New York now. He will not play every day. And, and they're going to have to force him in. He might have to play some outfield. So, to me, he becomes pretty much a pinch at bat. Um, I'm not really interested in Andre Jimenez at 199. Not interested in Fletcher. Not interested in Lutz. I am interested in um, Ryan McMahon, though. You know, he's one of those guys in Colorado that's going to be asked to, to step it up. And, of course, you know I like Wong and Bertie. Both of those guys add a little bit of speed later on and don't kill you in the other categories. So, I, I, to me, you're looking at 15 to 20 deep with guys I can – you know, Jonathan Scope's another one. He's free. So it just depends on what you're looking for and how you make up for it in other positions. If, uh, can you explain to me why the labor floor is just plummeting? I mean, is, uh, you know, is this a career that was a bright light that now is a dim or, or that situation? I mean, even in my rankings I have up right now, there's still, Fell another 10 spots today, so. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I talked about him earlier, too, on my show. Um, I, I feel like people forget just how great he was as a 22-year-old. Right. Uh, people also forget how hard it is to play in pinstripes. And, you know, you look at it, same, kind of the same thing with Gary Sanchez. He struggled. Right, he struggled with with the way the fans are with him. He struggled with um, the um, enormous expectations. I, I I feel like there's an adjustment period there. He took, you know, you saw it with a Rod. He struggled the first, you know, bit of time there in New York until he started to get used to the people. I feel like it. He gets better. Um, the the thing for me about Gliber is. You just don't see that kind of talent. He needs to be at second base. Let me start out by saying that. They need to move him back over to second base, and I know that limits LeMayhew. That's fine. I'm fine with that. Heck, I'm fine with putting LeMayhew over at third if you have to, right? You need to get a defensive shortstop in there to take some of the pressure off of Torres 
on, in the field. And, and I think that's where it stops and starts with Labradores. Now, with all that said, Randall, that's probably not going to happen in the near future. They want him to be the shortstop. So maybe that affects his offense. And that, I think that's why you're starting to see him drop. But here's my take on it. Now's the time to buy. Yeah. Because he's just too talented of a player to be taken in the sixth round. I agree. He's one of my guys that I kind of was like, yeah, they'll get this. Especially that he continues to plummet even past where he was at. I mean, you're talking now, he's I think the projections I just pulled up has him as a sixth or seventh round pick. Just doesn't even seem possible to what two years ago was. I, I mean, injuries will do that, though. You know, and, and he had, I believe, a hamstring. And that people don't take that into account. That maybe when you come back from a hamstring, you're not 100% right off the bat. Right? I like Gliber. I really like him at that at that price point. I'm trying to pull up some, some auction numbers, but I'm having a hard time. Um, do you have that in front of you? I do not. I, I have one more. I just pulled up somebody's profile to ask you a question. Well, I'll see if I can get that in just a second. But um, it's a guy, and you know, I dropped out of fantasy baseball a couple of years ago. I don't know a lot about, and I actually wrote a note to myself to ask you about Dylan Moore. Um, I, I, I really, I've been gone for two years, and evidently this guy became a thing in the last two years. Well, it wasn't even the last two years, really. It was really last year. I mean, you're talking about a um, a career minor leaguer who really just kind of came into his own. Now, the thing about Dylan Moore is, is he really does have that that power speed combo. Um, you know, late bloomer's 28. Like I said, he's never really been um, <clears throat> too highly touted um, in the minor leagues. He's never been a top prospect or anything like that. But, again, the thing that does stand out is the fact that he does have that that double-digit homer, double-digit speed potential. And, you know, when you bring that to the table, it changes things. And, you know, the, the big difference when you look at it, the reason why – we're talking about him now when we weren't last year is the, the average. He jumped up 50 points in his batting average. And, you know, to me, you're talking about a 38-game spurt. I got to see a little bit more than that. And while, yeah, I see where he's going, um, you know, fairly high in some of the, you know, 143 to me seems a little ridiculous. I just kind of feel like it's a little pipe dreamy to me. If I'm going to spend at that price point, I'll wait and I'll get a Jorge Polanco or a Paul DeJong or even a Berte. I'll tell you the one sleeper that I haven't talked about. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> Willie Castro to me is – so he's he's not a defensive player, Randall. So we're talking about Detroit Tigers, 
shortstop, third baseman. His ADP is 299. Okay. So he's free. You get him at the end of your draft, probably maybe a $2 player in auction. But he has a unique blend of average speed and power that profile really nicely given full-time playing time. You're talking about a guy you can get at the end of the draft. He had 349 last year. Six homers and 24 RBIs. Multi-position eligible. It's not like Detroit has a whole bunch of other options. I really like Willie Castro. And I was wrong. He doesn't steal a lick. You got to admit when you're wrong, right? He's not going to steal you anything. But that power average combo at the end of the draft could be something really special. Especially for a buck. Yeah. Yeah. Or even three for that matter. I, I got this price on Glaber, and he is such a tear. Uh, you have him and Marte and McNeil priced right at 16 to $17. Dollars. And then there's a huge fall off to, uh, uh, to Seaman and, and Mustakas at $11. So he's the backside of that tier, which happens about eight or nine, according to these prices. That What's the, what side are you on? Uh, Roto Rizzo Ball. Okay, Raz Ball. Yeah, I think that's where I'm, I, I I think that's where these came from. I'm looking at a spreadsheet. Okay, I, I mean, and it doesn't matter. You know, those things. I always say that, and I I know you've heard me say this. I don't put too much faith into any of those rankings because if you're not if you're not making your own rankings, you're doing it wrong, right? Uh, because you know, if you want someone to tell you what to, who to pick, then what's the point of doing it? I mean, that's just how I feel about it. So, so I always kind of use these as, as guidance. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, to me, I'm looking here, I'm on fantasy pros, which I trust a little bit more. Um, I'm looking for a Glibers, an $18 player. Yeah. Six, they have, I think, 16, 17. So, so I feel like, you know, you want to talk about – so let's talk about strategy. Just looking here. You're going to spend what, – what, would you rather – let's play that game, Randall. Would you rather spend $39 on Trey Turner or would you rather spend $36 – on Altuve and Torres. $36 on Altuve and Torres. Seems to make a lot of sense, right? Right, because if you spent $39, you're probably got a dollar starter at second base. Well, and you're you so what you're doing, what you what you're doing here. So the thing we didn't talk about in this show. Let's not forget 
what we're driving down to. We're trying to maximize batting average, runs, stolen bases, RBIs, and home runs. Who left Houston this year? Their leadoff hitter? Yeah. Who's going to hit leadoff for the Astros this year? Altuve? Makes a lot of sense to me. If Altuve hits leadoff, you think he'll steal more or less than he did? I would go with he's going to steal more. Yeah. Yeah. So career highs for Altuve, and I'm doing this off of memory, 56 once. I think he had 38 and 36. And then like 33, 32, and 30. Six times he's been, been above 30 stolen bases throughout the course of his career. Well, you know, all in all. Well, and I, and I think, uh, so I'm going to throw one more thing out. And you can give me uh, your take on this too. I think unpopular and popular teams their players sometimes get overpriced and underpriced, mm-hmm. and no one's more hated than the Astros. And it seems totally like, agree. Seems like to me that Astros are very underpriced, while the Yankees and the Cubs are very overpriced in times. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, the the thing about Altuve to me that makes a whole lot of sense. Yes, there's that unpopularity, and that is a thing. You're absolutely right. How many other second basemen have a potential to steal 40 base bases? Not a lot. I can count them on this finger. Yeah. And he plays in Kansas City. And that's a stretch. I, I don't see Merrifield stealing 40 bases. I could see him stealing 30. I could realistically foresee a scenario where Jose Altuve steals 40 bases this year. Now, I'll talk about this. I talked about it earlier. People talk about the pitch tipping affecting Altuve's year last year. And it might have. It probably had some effect. Altuve lost two family members last year. Yeah. During the season. And he didn't talk about it. He asked to keep it private. But his teammates said that they could tell a difference in his mood. He wasn't as jovial. He wasn't having fun at the park. This year reports are much different from Altuve, that he's happy again, that he's joking around with his teammates, that he's having a good time. So I'll ask you again, Randall. A career 311 hitter, 31 years old, is Jose Altuve massively underpriced at $18? Yes. Now, what is the downside there? 
280 and 15 sales. Right. Yeah. That would probably be an $18 player, wouldn't you right. agree? So yeah. his downside is probably equal to his price. I, I mean, I, I don't see a scenario. He's not going to hit 211 again. Uh, we've identified the issues with why that happened. To me, that you can write that off. That's explainable. So now it's, I don't need him to hit 311. I don't need that. I need him to get up to 280. What I need him to do is steal bases. But I don't need him to steal 40. Heck, I don't even need him to steal 30. If he steals 25 bases and scores 100 runs out of the leadoff spot for the Astros, he's at least a $25 player. Absolutely. Anything outside of that is house money. So I'm buying in on Altuve because the potential for so much more is there. And the ability to maximize that potential is really low. Make sense? Yeah. A lot. <laughs> it's fun doing this, though, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I didn't even have Altuve on my uh, – you know, I just assumed if you listen to the media, sometimes you will get in a direction that doesn't tell a complete picture. Yeah. So – I'll tell you, um, I know we're kind of winding down here. Another guy I'm really interested in, and this is a later later round guy, so I gotta I, I gotta find him because I know he's way down there. Um, the the guy I'm looking, Jorge Polanco. You know, to me. So position change this year, right? Moving over, moving over from shortstop to second base. They added Andrelton Simmons. Polanco's a four dollar player, Randall. Four dollar. People forget. Jorge Polanco's a pretty good hitter. Um. He didn't have the best year last year. 258, four homers, four stolen bases. But he's a career 278 hitter. And you're talking about a guy who, at $4, just two years ago gave you 22 homers. Just two years ago hit 295. 107 runs ran. You take that for four dollars? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and you know that Minnesota team has some intrigue anyway. So uh, there's a lot of bats in that lineup. It's a good park to hit at. Yeah, and according to where he's going to hit in the lineup, I, I have to admit that you know another name that kind of catches. My interest a little bit. Um, we've already talked about Wong in Milwaukee, but 
What happens in St. Louis now? I mean, is this clearly DeJong and somebody or? It's the it's the Jong and Edmund. That that's the that's the combo. Edmund's everyday second baseman. DeJong's everyday third. Their their infield's pretty set, Randall. I mean, and I'll tell you, I love DeJong. At five dollars, you're talking about a player who's going to hit second in that lineup. Should score a ton of runs. And let's be honest, we talked. I think we talked about. I talked about this with somebody. I think it was you. The profile of a second baseman's changed True. in modern-day fantasy baseball. It used to be a stolen base guy. It's very much not that now. Your second baseman now better hit some homers. And, you know, DeJong kind of fits that. I know he's playing shortstop. He kind of fits that power-hitting profile, though. He has 40-power homer in his bat easily. And... He can hit you 260, 270. That's worth quite a bit of value in my book. I feel like he's one of those guys that's really, year in and year out, underrated. So, last one I'll ask you about, I promise, Chappie. Mustakas hmm. uh, at $13 uh, with a 30 home run projection. Is that because the average is going to be 240, 250? I mean, I, you know, the thing about, about thing about Mustakas, I feel like they're really penalizing him pretty badly for for a bad year last year, and I don't think that's necessarily fair. I mean, let's look at what the positives here, right? Let's look at what he does have going for him. He's still in Cincinnati. He's still hitting in, you know, the the best hitters ballpark east of the Mississippi. You know, probably the second best hitters park in the majors. Um, he's surrounded by the likes of Nick Senzel, of Joey Votto, of Eugenio Suarez, uh, Jesse Winker. That's Nick Castellanos. That's a really good offense. So there's a lot of pressure taken off of him. And the thing about Mustakas is we know this dude, right? We know what he's about. He, mark it down for, you know, 250 and 30 and move on to the next. Now, scenarios, aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's a consummate professional. You know what you're getting from this guy. You can play him all over the infield. Of course, you want to put him at second. He profiles much better as a second baseman. Very much Paul DeJong like. I, I mean, to me at 13, I'm looking a little lower than that because I'm able to. So, how I do this, I'll look at the lowest I'm willing to go, like the lowest three, right? And I don't want to go to the lowest of the low three. I'll probably want to go the highest of the high three. But do so at a value, right? right? So, again, I've given you a couple of those scenarios. Um, it's about finding those guys later on who could really far out-surpass what their expectation is at the price point you get them at. I don't think Mastakis 
is a little underpriced, but maybe buy two or three dollars, not buy seven or eight dollars that Polanco is, or that DeJong is, or that some of those other guys we've talked about is. What else you got? I know you got questions. Well, let me uh, throw. I said it was the last one. It's let okay. Me throw, let me throw a, a scenario out of some of the veteran players like Gregarious and Scruff. Last year, kind of, I felt like they suffered in the shortened season. Are they any of the 30 plus million fielders that catch your attention? That's a really good question because you know that's not really where I live, right? I know. That That's actually the opposite of where I'm trying. I don't really shoot for the guys that are on the downsides of their career. That's just not the way I play fantasy ball. Um, I, I got to say, though, looking down through here um, and, and, and determining some of these lower guys – uh, the older guys in particular. Um, a couple guys that are way down here that kind of jump out to me. That's too low. Um, <laughs> you know, give me a second. You threw me a curveball. Congratulations. Uh, that's hard. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I, okay, here's one. I like Elvis Andrus in Oakland. Interesting. I, I, I do. I mean, here's a guy. He's a career 280-ish hitter. Um, he, he is going to a team that is going to score a lot of runs. He's going to hit at that top of that lineup. He had a terrible year last year, but if you look at what he's done, 31, 25, 24, 25, 27, 42, 21, 37, 32, 33. One year he's not gotten over 20 stolen bases in a 12-year career. That's excluding last year's short year, obviously. A career 274 batter going to play in Oakland. I'm fairly confident he's a dollar player. I'm looking it up now. Are you willing to take a dollar player in a position? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you're going to have to because what inevitably happens is at the end of the draft, now, to start, probably not. It's it's going to be really hard for me to put him in. But the first guy off the bench, I'd absolutely put an Elvis Andrews as the first guy off the bench. Um. I don't, I'm sure I'm struggling finding him. You got him. Is he a dollar player? Dollars, what I got. Yeah, I, I'm struggling to find. Anyway, yeah, I, I'm absolutely putting him in there as a guy with that stolen base prowess at that position for that price point, and he's a 274 career hitter. Randall, yes, 
He's someone I'm targeting. Wow, we're going to have a fun Sunday, Chappie. <laughs> I got to get all my chores done on Saturday, brother. <laughs> well, let me tell you what I think my first strat. I think I'm going to lock the keyboard and the computer for the first 25 players to keep me from going stupid. Yeah. So There'll, there'll be one or two in there. I, I brought up one. We won't bring them up again. I think everybody knows that listen tonight. But there'll be one or two guys that I have in my pocket that I'll be willing to spend on. I've got uh, maybe one in the outfield. Uh, I have a rule, and you can you can check me on my rule. I'm not buying any Braves because I'll overspend. So unless the Braves are at a real discount, I'm setting the Braves aside. I have an outfielder that I'm really, really coveted. Uh, and I have possibly a pitcher I super covet that may go uh, off early. But, hey, that that I'll give you a little hint about that pitcher. He may be over in uh, beer territory. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny, especially um, – I think it's when you're thinking about things holistically, this will be our last point. When you think about holistically, when you're approaching an auction draft, the most important point to keep driving home to is, do I have my categories fulfilled? Yeah. Because if you're not reflecting on who you have, you might miss something really important that you can address at a decent price. So easy. Yeah. To miss yeah. out on stolen bases or runs or everybody loves home run RBI and average. Right. Yep. I, I I tend to go after the stolen bases early and often. But the thing about that is too though is they're often overpriced because everybody else has the same thought process. Right. So you gotta be careful. So you gotta spend people up first. And then come in with the cheap five-star players. Well, you know, if y'all want to give me uh, a Kuna for twelve dollars, I'll take it. I am pretty sure that's not going to happen, buddy. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's not going to happen too. But, but there's some truth that you know. I love a Kuna. It's my favorite. I'm, that, well, I'm gonna say it. There's some truth to the, you know, the article I read today. Uh, someone like Freddie Freeman who I absolutely love, is my favorite player. I'm looking at a Freddie Freeman jersey hanging in the hallway. If I get in a bid more for Freddie Freeman, I will get emotional about it. So, you know, unless that price point is ridiculous, which it won't be, there's no point in me getting in a bid more that's about uh, my fandom and not winning the league. Hey, it happens though. I'll tell you, the other actually, it was in a Lou. It was one of one of Lou's legs um, where I had executed just like I told you I wanted to do. I had kept my money close at hand. I hadn't spent much. You know, I bought a player or two, but then again, this was two years ago. I had my eyes set on Bo Bichette. I thought everybody was spent down. Randall, I made the mistake of throwing him out too early. And one other dude had a bunch of money. And I think, like, the top 
shortstop that year was Francisco Lindor, and I think he went for like $35. Bichette went for $47. And, oh, <laughs> and I got him. I got my man. But but it was one of those things where I just miscalculated the audience and what everybody had to play with and the extent to which – and it was funny because everybody in chat room was going nuts when it was happening, right? Um, but but it was one of those things where I had built in that cushion, and I, I you know I had him rated higher than, than some of the other shortstops, so I felt comfortable doing it. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'll overspend at some point, but I'm going to very strongly try to not do that. And yeah, I, I do have a little, uh, and I've took and made a. A little twenty-player cheat sheet, uh, and they're players from every category, every range of prices. But there are guys that I've looked at. And I feel good that I want on my team, and I feel like they're if they go close to their price, I should be bidding on them. Uh, the only problem I have is a couple of these places. They, you know, I've got two shortstops on a list. One's my primary, uh, like, target, and then I have a couple of secondaries. Well, I keep marking my secondary out and changing it because I'm so sure I'm going to get my first guy. I keep coming up closer and closer to my first guy's prize. So uh, I really am trying to build some tiers there. Like, yeah, I miss on this guy. I'm not going to go for the next guy just because he's a similar prize, you know. The next guy I like is – seven dollars down so yeah well and that's the thing you know it's almost like you have to build a bucket right this is where i'm comfortable this is where i want to go this is where i'm comfortable in the middle right so it'll be fun i mean and again like i told you it's the all you're always recalculating where your budget is where you are versus the crowd and how you want to approach the next step so i'm looking forward to doing it um we'll see how it goes all right, man. I'll see you Sunday. All right, guys. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, Chaps Fantasy Chat, Thursday nights at 8. iLogic Media is the site. Draft for Upside is the, um, I don't know, the other site. Um, but Chaps Fantasy Chat is Thursday nights at 8. The other angle with Chappie and RC, OA, Thursday nights at 10. Love doing this show with you, RC. You yeah. want to plug something? Can't, uh, I'm going to plug the guys at the D. Swain Below Show. Great guys. You should watch them. Uh, also, I'm going to plug next Sunday that we're going to have the Bracket Buster special yes, sir. coming up. And uh, we'll have more on that next week. Also, I want to plug our friends at iLogic. There's some great things going on over there. and Yeah. You know, a great cooking show. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, it's become... When I go to lunch, man, it's kind of replace YouTube is where I go watch videos at. So yeah, and, and my fantasy golf game is greatly improved. Improved. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Thank you, man. Yep. All right, guys. We'll see you next Thursday. Until then, um, enjoy the games. Good night.